Good morning, and welcome to Midpoint Wednesday. I'm Shelley Reback, your host for WMNF's Mid-Florida, Midweek, Mid-Morning Dose of News and Public Affairs with a Local Perspective. You are listening to WMNF 88.5 FM, Tampa Bay's only independent, commercial-free FM radio, brought to you by you because we are supported by generous listeners just like you. And today on, on Midpoint, our topic is the crisis in Florida's mental health care system and what we can do about it. In 2019, after the tragic shooting in Parkland, Florida, where 17 lives were lost, the state impaneled a grand jury to investigate school safety problems and other issues that contributed to that tragedy. What we learned from that investigation is that Florida's mental health care system is a mess, according to the grand jury. It is lacking in funding, services, and leadership with a dysfunctional patchwork of often conflicting sources of mental health treatment. Not too surprising because at the time, Florida ranked last among all states for its per capita mental health care funding, according to the Parkland grand jury. So soon after the grand jury's report, the state legislature created the Commission on Mental Health and Substance Abuse to examine these issues. And last week, the commission issued its interim report. Like the grand jury, the commission also found Florida's mental health system confusing, underfunded, and in dire need of reform. According to the commission's interim report, Deinstitutionalization of people needing mental health care has resulted in a fragmented continuum of care that has failed to adequately integrate services, providers, and systems, leaving enormous gaps in treatment and disparities in access to services. This is critical because nearly 3 million Florida adults have mental illness, according to the national advocacy group Mental Health America. That's 14% of the state's entire population. An estimated 225,000 youth also experienced at least one major depressive episode in the past year. And things have only been getting worse since covid my guest today, the Honorable Ronald Figueroa, Chief Judge of the 13th Judicial Circuit, was appointed by Governor DeSantis to serve on the Commission on Mental Health and Substance Abuse. So welcome, Judge Figueroa. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here with you all today. I met Ronnie Fig, as he was then known, when he was a lowly line prosecutor in the state attorney's office, and I was an even lowlier private criminal defense attorney some, what, 30-plus years ago, wasn't it? Only yesterday. Only yesterday. Right. But since then, he's risen to the very top of the legal food chain in Hillsborough County, and I'm here, retired and working for free at a community radio station. <laughs> but I say that to indicate just how fortunate we are that the chief judge has given us his time this morning to be here in the studio to talk to our listeners about the work of the Mental Health Commission and the work of the Hillsborough County Court System on Mental Health uh, Services. 
and to talk about the commission's recommendations for reform of the system. So thank you, Judge. It really is a privilege to have you here at Midpoint on WMNF. Well, I'm very happy to be here. This is a, a topic that's uh, very close to my heart, and I think uh, a topic that affects so many of us, all of your listeners, uh, and, and everyone in our community uh, uh, has uh, someone that they may know, uh, someone in their family, a close friend themselves, that are struggling with mental health issues. And uh, the, the stigma is peeling away, and things are getting better. Yes, I, and as you know, our show is live, and uh, we welcome questions and comments from our listeners, too. So if you'd like to join our conversation on mental health with Judge Figueroa, please give us a call at 813 813- Two three nine nine six six three. You can email me at dj at wmnf.org or text me at 813-433-0885 and we'll try to get uh, you on the air as well. And so, Judge, you spent most of your professional life in the state court uh, criminal system, criminal justice system, first as a prosecutor and then as a judge. And I know that your background must have given you great insight into how the needs of people with mental illness impact the criminal justice system and conversely how the justice system responds to their needs or can't respond or doesn't respond. So uh, tell us a little bit about how your background informed your work on the Mental Health Commission. Well, thank you, Shelley. Uh, you know, I was born and raised here in Tampa, and really my legal career has been focused in the criminal court system. When I first graduated from law school, uh, I went to work at the uh, state attorney's office here in Hillsborough County. Uh, I served under three state attorneys, E.J. Salcinas, Bill James, and Harry Coe. Um, I spent about uh, 10 and a half years as an assistant state attorney. So every day of those 10 and a half years, uh, I was in a criminal courtroom and saw firsthand uh, uh, the elements uh, uh, and how people were, people who were suffering from mental health issues uh, were involved in the criminal court system. I got appointed in 1994 by Governor Lawton Childs as a Hillsborough County judge. And then in 1999, I got appointed by Governor Jeb Bush as a circuit court judge. Uh, I spent the bulk, bulk, the, uh, the bulk of my time as a judge on the criminal court bench. I spent some time in family law and some other divisions, but the majority of my time was spent in the criminal courts. And again, Every day, my office was that courtroom, uh, seeing firsthand people that were dealing with these issues. Uh, in 2015, I was honored to be elected by my fellow judges to serve as chief judge. And one of the first things I did as chief judge in 2016 was to uh, create our adult mental health court here in Hillsborough County. Yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, it's I'm really, really proud of, of what we call our, our restorative courts and our problem-solving courts. We've had a long history here in Hillsborough County. It started with uh, Chief Judge Dennis Alvarez was one of the pioneers in drug courts in the state of Florida. Uh, my predecessor Chief Judge Manny Menendez, along with Judge Richard Weiss, uh, created our Veterans Treatment Court, which is a national model now. Uh, it was led by Judge Weiss, then Judge Holder, and now Judge Shanti. And uh, it is a model that's looked at nationwide. We're doing great work in our Veterans Treatment Court. In 2016, I created our mental health court to address those people uh, with nonviolent felonies uh, who were diagnosed or suffering from mental health issues to steer them out of the jail, steer them out of the criminal court system, and to provide them with services uh, and give them an opportunity to to 
to get the help that they needed. Uh, and so it's something I'm very, very proud of. We've, we've got about 500, 600 cases in that court now. Uh, we're doing great work, and it's a, it's a team effort. One of the things I'm really proud of, you know, in criminal courts, as you all know, it's an adversarial system. Yeah. You know, the state, the prosecution against the defense. Our court is, is different than any other court like that. It, it's a team effort. We all work together as a team to make sure uh, that the, the people appearing before us succeed. And that they get the services they need, and and uh, and get the help that they need, and and we can pay specific attention to them. We have prosecutors, public defenders, staff, service providers that are all trained uh, in mental health. And we're doing great work. And then in 2019, we created the Juvenile Mental Health Court, which I had presided over. I just passed it off to Judge Shanti recently, uh, and that is fascinating because you see a lot of children. Uh, that are dealing with serious mental health issues out there. Yeah. Uh, and, and to get them out of the criminal court system and to get them the services that they need uh, has been probably the most rewarding work I've done in my nearly 30 years on the bench. Well, you know, uh, research has shown that most people with mental illnesses are no more dangerous to the public than the general population. And yet the criminal justice system has become the de facto mental health system in Florida. They're, you know, really the largest uh, provider of mental health care services in the state of Florida. And that includes the jails where most people get uh, their only treatment and follow up. Yeah. You know, the, and the criminal court system was never designed. To, to handle that. And it's something we've had to uh, adapt to. And, and, and I give a lot of credit to, to my good friend and colleague down in Miami-Dade County, Judge Steve Leifman, who really pioneered mental health courts uh, and, 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 and set the bar so high and was really one of the people I worked hard with and consulted with uh, to create our mental health court here in Hillsborough County. Uh, the jails are the largest mental health facility probably in, in our county. And, and fortunately, we've seen that tide turn now. Sheriff Cronister has been outstanding in working on training his deputies. Uh, the city of Tampa has been outstanding in working on training their officers so that when they respond to a situation, they can recognize that they're dealing with someone that's got a mental health issue and proceed accordingly. Well, you know, we're going to talk about that um on the show because, um, well, first of all, one of the big takeaways from the work of the commission that you just have been serving on, uh, the criminal justice subcommittee of the Florida Commission on Mental Health and Substance Abuse, one of the big takeaways from the work of the commission was a recommendation to establish more jail diversion programs. And I can see how that would help the criminal justice system to get people out of the jails and on, out of their responsibility. But I'm not sure how, how would it help people needing treatment and care uh, to put them back into the community instead of keeping them in jail um, because we lack so much on the outside of the jail system in terms of the availability of community-based treatment. Mm -hmm. we, you know, so how, how is that a good solution without, well, you know, more uh, emphasis on the development of more community-based treatment? Well, these are all recommendations, and I, I was appointed by the governor uh, in 2021 to serve on this Florida Commission on Mental Health and Substance Abuse, and it's been an honor to serve uh, there's 19 members of it. It's chaired by Sheriff Promel down in Sh uh, Charlotte County. Uh, and we've got a, a wide spectrum of people involved in this commission that have all worked hard on this interim report that we've given. Our final report is due, I believe, in September uh, to the legislature and to the governor. Uh, you know, one of the issues we deal with is Florida is such a different state, such a diverse state. 
uh, you know, from from Miami Dade to, to to Tampa to Hillsborough County to to the rural counties. Uh, you know, there's 67 counties here in the state of Florida, and there are some that are the have counties and some that are the have not counties that don't have the financial wherewithal to provide the services that they need. We're fortunate here in Hillsborough County. We've got a some facilities in place that, that, that work with us in our county. Our county commission has been uh, amazing in working with our courts and working uh, to help fund what we do here in Hillsborough County. Uh, and that's just one of the issues that we have to deal with on a statewide basis. It was one of the recommendations of, uh, of our commission that there needs to be some type of statewide system of mental health courts and providers to do these things. Yeah, now... Um we can agree, I'm sure, that some people are just not amenable to treatment, you know. Um, and the system, the criminal justice system, at least does have some coercive powers that don't otherwise exist in society. So, mm-hmm. for example, people with mental illness who come into the criminal justice system could conceivably get their charges dismissed or reformed uh, or reduced if they agree to enter into some sort of monitored treatment rather than jail. Um, if we kept people out of the system altogether, that would certainly alleviate some of the pressure on the criminal justice system, but that only works if monitored treatment programs exist and are effective and available to everybody. I mean, I know from you know years of experience in dealing in the justice system that it's almost impossible to get someone a bed, like in an inpatient facility, for example, if they're in a state of crisis. Um, so, you know, what are we doing about that? Well, you know, we can't, we can't cure everybody. We can't help everybody. And what we target is, is those nonviolent offenders uh, that are amenable to treatment. And, and we're fortunate. We've, again, as I talked about earlier, the, the adversarial system is different in, in this type of court because their state attorney and public defender work together. And we have diversionary programs here in Hillsborough County. We have a mental health pretrial intervention program. Uh, we have other diversionary programs. We've got post-adjudicatory programs as well to steer people out of the jail and put them in community treatment and monitor them and have them have court contact uh, where they're, they're being supervised and, and they appear in front of me. Uh, and, and one of the good things is now we're back to live in court action. You know, for a while there we were uh, on, Zoom. on Zoom land. Yeah. And, and Zoom is here to stay. It's, it's going to be part of our court system for a while. But particularly in, in my court and in, in our veterans court, our restorative courts, our drug treatment court, you need to have that face-to-face contact because you've got to be able to encourage, provide encouragement. Uh, uh, words of encouragement and, and praise to people that are doing well and then to be tough on those that aren't doing well and, and, and to try to, you know, have that carrot and the stick approach. Uh, you know, you can get your felony case dismissed. You've got to attend your sessions. You've got to take, stay on top of your medication. You've got to report uh, accordingly and, and follow the rules of the programs and you can get your case dismissed and then have that follow-up care as well. Uh, you know, in the past, people were being treated and then just released and they're out on the street with nothing. Right. Uh, no. and, and, and so it, it became, you know, just this treadmill of, of people coming in and out of the court system. Yeah, one of the recommendations I noticed in the interim report, um, well, all of the recommendations seem to prioritize community-based treatment instead of arresting people, even with those people with serious mental uh, illness. Um if we if we stop arresting so many people for misdemeanors, which are 
minor crimes for which the most you could be sentenced to serve would be one year incarceration. That would be the most. And most people don't even get that uh, because the offenses themselves are just minor, frankly. They're not felony serious uh, offenses. So, you know, we're talking about people arrested for misdemeanors, minor crimes, who are not competent to even understand the charges against them or competent to participate in their own defense. And the way the system works now is uh, they go to jail and they get treatment to become competent. And then once they're determined to be competent by a judge and with the uh, testimony of psychiatrists and uh, there's a recommendation in court, once they're competent, then their case can be finished in court. And oftentimes it results in time served. And so, you know, why, what, why did we go through all that for those people? And so I found it interesting that one of the recommendations in the interim w- report was to stop, to stop, uh, it, uh, charging people with serious mental illness with misdemeanors and then trying to restore them to competency. It just makes no sense. It makes no sense in terms of their care. It makes no sense in terms of the system, the expense to the system of keeping people in jail while that goes on. They may often be there as long as their possible sentence could even you know, be extended. Yeah, bingo. That's, you know, that was one of the big issues that we looked at in our criminal justice subcommittee, and that was chaired by my good friend, the chief judge up in Jacksonville, uh, Mark Mahan. And one of the things we looked at, as you all know, was the competency restoration issue. Uh, Before someone can be adjudicated, before a case can be handled, it has to be established they're competent to proceed to be able to assist their attorney to understand exactly what's going on. And we were spending a lot of money uh, to try to restore someone to competence uh, that had been charged with, you know, trespassing in front of a convenience store. Right. Uh, You know, and, and we were spending a lot of dollars on that. And then, you know, lo and behold, they become competent. And now the sentence is time served. Right. And they're back out in front of the convenience store again. Right. So the, the goal was to try to address the, the crux of the issue, to address what their mental health issue is and to get them the treatment they need. And don't worry about competency. So let's not have them even in the criminal court system. Let's get them and, and, and divert them out of it. And, and, and I think we're trying to do a better job with that. And that's going to be really, that's a big recommendation from our criminal justice subcommittee yeah. because so many dollars were spent on that. Uh, that it just, it didn't make any fiscal sense. And, and, was, and, and that's uh, one of the things, really, that, that the legislature is going to be looking at. You know, the, they're going to be looking at the dollars and cents approach to everything and what's going to save, you know, money and what's what's going to be better for our budget. So I think that's one of the things we can really point to, that this is a great way to, to use those dollars we were spending on competency restoration and pivot and put those, uh, you know, on prevention and treatment treatment, and community treatment. In researching for this uh, show, I learned that in 2015, there was a Pulitzer Prize-winning investigation by the Tampa Bay Times and the Sarasota Herald Tribune, and they found that Florida spent at least $50 million per year, and this is 2015 dollars, $50 million per year restoring the competency of criminal defendants whose nonviolent crimes were so minor that they never spent a day in prison. I mean, they sat in jail uh, being restored Mm -hmm. to competency 
But then at the end, like you say, they got time served. They never went to prison. And uh, so getting rid of competency restoration for misdemeanors would save a lot of money. For misdemeanors and, and nonviolent felonies. And nonviolent you know, felonies, I, yeah. I think it's the way to go. And, and, and let's, I mean, let's make it crystal clear. I mean, public safety is very important. And I think those competency dollars need to be saved for those people that are violent offenders that, that need to have their competency restored so that we can address and adjudicate their case in a timely fashion. Uh, you know, public safety is a priority, and we need to make certain uh, that that violent offenders uh, are in a secure place and a secure facility, and and really uh, not. Uh, waste those dollars on the misdemeanors and the nonviolent felons. Right. All right. I'm going to take a call from uh, Tony from Pasco, who's been very patient. Thank you for being so patient, Tony. You're on the air. Hi. I, uh, my I. I interested in the topic here so i've got a son apparently has some level of schizophrenia uh he also i think does adderall and probably i know he drinks and then there was one it, there was one time where he was held up at my house and there was a SWAT team called in because he called in and said that his uncle was coming to kill he and i and we needed protection so the whole area was cordoned off and i mean the current well, i'm story. sorry you went through but, that yeah 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 it's terrible to go through i had to see him put a squad car and i was crying and all that stuff but the fact is i mean what is it like uh three days you baker act somebody they're in and out yeah uh yeah we definitely need some help i'm 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 a little more radical on the uh you know catching drug dealers and stop dealing from using drugs but i mean it's almost impossible well, one of the things, Tony, that um, has come up recently is that new, what is it, 988 number that is the, the crisis line, the crisis for, mental line health, yeah. for mental health. That's a new, uh, something new that uh, if people are experiencing a mental health crisis in the past, really, you know, what people around them had no choice but to call 911 and have have uh, police respond, maybe with a SWAT team like your experience. Mm -hmm. But now we have this new 988 uh, crisis number where um, they can send responders who are not law enforcement, not looking to arrest someone, but looking to address the immediate crisis and get the person at least calm down and and uh, out of danger to themselves or yeah. others. And, and, and Tony, you're not the lone ranger, believe me. When I, when I presided over our juvenile mental health court, we dealt with a lot of juveniles that were being constantly Baker acted. And that's one of the, another recommendation that I'm really not all that familiar with in, in our report, uh, is to modernize and update our Baker Act and Marchman Act, uh, which is, deals with the, the non involuntary civil commitment uh, of people either for uh, mental health issues or drug and alcohol issues, substance abuse issues. Um, but we would see these kids that were being constantly Baker acted that, were, that had serious mental health issues. Uh, and, and one of the things we really, really worked hard on in our juvenile mental health court uh, was working very close with our school district. And again, the Hillsborough County School District has been an amazing partner uh, with our courts because our schools have so much uh, contact with the children 
Uh, and and uh, they've been a great partner to, to work with to help identify children that have specific mental health issues. And again, where we can give them an opportunity uh, to, to, to succeed and have the mental health help that they need. You know, and, and, and fortunately, you know, your son's fortunate. He comes from a good family. He's got, he's got you. He's got a father that cares about him. You know, in our juvenile mental health court, I saw a lot of kids that had nobody. I mean, nobody with them uh, that didn't have that support at home. Um, and it, 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 it would really tragic. break your heart. Yeah. Thanks for calling in, Tony. We appreciate it. I have a, um, a text message here um, from someone who says that people who haven't had a mental health crisis understandably can't relate. Um, and this person says, I had a steroid psychosis from taking steroids from bronchitis and was Baker acted and it was the worst thing that ever happened in my life and I cannot imagine being stuck in a mental illness like that until it happens to you or a close friend or family member I don't think things will change much uh, this writer says that people make fun of people that are mentally ill or they ignore them and I'm glad there are people like y'all doing good work to help things get better for the mentally ill uh, that's one of our text messages from one of our listeners. Yeah, thank you for that text message. And, and it's one of the things I emphasize in my mental health court, I did in my juvenile mental health court as well, is, you know, there's, there's, there doesn't need to be that stigma about mental health. Your mental health is as important as your physical health. And, you know, I would tell the people, hey, I got to take a pill for my cholesterol. I've got to take a pill for my blood pressure, a baby aspirin, you know, all those things. If medication can help you with your mental health, make sure you're staying on top of that medication. Follow your doctor's advice. Follow your counselor's advice and take care of your mental health issue. Because I guarantee you, all the listeners out there and really everybody, uh, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, uh, is touched by, by someone in their family, either themselves or a family member or a close friend uh, that is struggling with their mental health. And, and as you mentioned earlier, Shelley, you know, in today's times, it's so stressful out there. Uh, you know, we went through a pandemic and it was a very, very stressful time. And kids today, you know, it's not like when I was a kid growing up. These kids today are under so much peer pressure and under so much, so many outside influences on them. Um, yeah, the New York Times in jeopardy. The New York Times did a, a series recently about the crisis in youth mental health, and it's just been explosive, especially since COVID. Um, just how many young people uh, are having are having a crisis of mental health? And you're listening to Midpoint on WMNF Community Radio with my guest, Chief Judge of the Thirteenth Judicial Circuit and an appointed member of the Florida Commission on Mental Health. Judge Ron Figueroa is with us. We're happy to have him. And if you have questions or comments about Florida public mental health. Uh, treatment options uh, or about the Commission on Mental Health's work, please give us a call at 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can text us at 813-433 and we'd love to take your calls at 813-239-9663. All right, here's a recommendation from the interim report of the Commission on Mental Health that I found especially interesting, and I've 
been looking forward to talking to you about it in particular. Uh, the commission suggests that an increase, there should be an increase in crisis intervention training for police officers and sheriff's deputies so that they'd have lessons on psychiatric diagnoses, on de-escalation techniques, and on trauma so that they'd have a better understanding of when to get people into treatment instead of arresting them. And my my question uh, that I'd like to discuss is, isn't that sort of reinventing the wheel? I, I'd like to know, what is the rationale for emphasizing that when we could just send in some social workers who are already trained in those exact same areas to make those decisions at the scene. Now, after the mur police murder of George Floyd in 2020, for example, in response to these calls to defund the police and allocate more resources from police to behavioral health specialists, for example, in St. Pete, they had a pilot project where they dedicated about $850,000 of their police budget uh, to do just that, to send teams of behavioral health specialists and social workers to respond to some of these mental and behavioral health calls rather than having police officers be the primary responders. But um, according to reports, Sheriff Galtieri in Pinellas and Sheriff Cronister in Hillsborough opposed those reforms. So how can, you know, I, I mean, at least opposed using their police budget to send those behavioral health specialists instead of training police officers to be behavioral health specialists. And I just wonder if that isn't reinventing the wheel. And I'd like to know how we can implement these types of necessary reforms without a buy-in by law mm -hmm. enforcement. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I can't speak for Sheriff Galtieri. He does a great job over in Pinellas. Sheriff Cronister, I'm very familiar with here in Hillsborough. You know, our law enforcement officers do an amazing job uh, in protecting us uh, and in responding to calls. And we're seeing in, in some jurisdictions like this team approach where a law enforcement officer would respond to a type of call uh, with someone that's trained with, with in, in dealing with people with mental health issues well, that's to try to de-escalate everything. And that's what we're trying to, it's one of the recommendations we're making. That's what we're do, they're doing in St. Pete with their yep. call program, C-A-L-L. Um, they respond to about 208 calls on a monthly basis, along with making 118 follow-up calls, which I don't think police can do, the, you know, the follow-up that a behavioral health specialist can do. And they get 60 to 80 referrals from police officers a month. And they've already responded since June of last year. They've already responded to 5,800 calls, and they've received about 1,000 referrals from police officers, it seems like a really effective program. Well, that may be a model that, that we could look at down the line to see. And again, you know, we're dealing with budgetary issues. Everybody's got a very limited budget. There's limited dollars out there, what we can do. I mean, I can tell you that Sheriff Cronister has, has really advocated strongly to train his deputies in responding, uh, trained his deputies in dealing with homeless people, trained uh, the, the officers and deputies uh, in, in how to respond to these certain scenarios. Uh, and again, you know, these men and women are out there responding to calls that half the time they don't know what they're getting into when they arrive there. Uh, and, and, 
Uh, so they're being trained to de-escalate the situation and, and to identify those people that are dealing there's with the mental health crisis. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's no, there's certainly nothing wrong. With, I certainly am not critical of police being trained to de-escalate situations and respond to trauma in a way other than just simply, you know, SWAT teaming people like our previous caller mentioned. There's no criticism there. But... It does seem a little bit like reinventing the wheel to devote the resources necessary to turn police officers on the street into behavioral health specialists when those specialists are out there and could simply be deployed if some of the budget that we now put into law enforcement services could be, you know, reallocated to behavioral health. Well, that's something that will have to be taken up with the uh, county commissioner or the legislature as far as funding yeah. goes. But, you know, if, if the wheel's not working, if the wheel's square, you may need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Let me take a call here. Uh, from, we've got people who are waiting. Uh, I have Kathy from Clearwater. Kathy, thanks for waiting. You're on the line. Uh, thank you. Hi. Um, I have an autistic uh, son who's uh, in his 20s uh, that has um, behavior um, issues. And we live in uh, Pinellas County, and I was wondering if there was an adult mental health court um, for those individuals uh, in Pinellas County. And uh, also, um, because a lot of uh, people with autism uh, have behavior issues and have, um, and some lack even the mental uh, capacity to understand uh uh, issues when they're uh, in trouble. Um, what would you suggest they do? All right. Well, uh, you're here with Chief Judge Ron Figueroa, who's the chief judge of the Hillsborough County Court System. I don't know whether or not he can speak to what's available in Pinellas, but thank you for calling, Kathy. Sure, I can. And, and uh, the chief judge over in Pinellas, Anthony Rondolino, uh, and the state attorney over there, uh, Bruce Bartlett, uh, have worked on and are initiating and creating an adult mental health court over in Pinellas County in the Sixth Circuit. I believe it is up and running, but that is something you may want to check uh, their local website to see and to get some information from them about how their court uh, works. And, and again, it would be a criminal court, so it would be someone that had been either charged or arrested with a crime would be in the, uh, uh, would be uh, a subject of, of their mental health court. But you may want to research that over in Pinellas to see what's available over there. But I know they've, uh, they're, they're making strides over there as well. Yeah, I have a, uh, an email here from Bob Pope Jr. who says, uh, my grandson has had two mental health issues brought on by drugs. They happened in St. Pete and Clearwater. I was skeptical to call. I think he means the police. But both departments sent mental health experts, and I was so relieved. They talked my grandson down, and there was no incident. They took him to... PEMS both times and he was in for three days each time. He needed more outpatient counseling, but sadly it wasn't available. So uh, there's a, another listener from the Pinellas area who uh, has had contact with the mental health system over there. Um, I have Rosa on the line too. Rosa, you've been very patient. Also, Rosa's from St. Pete. Again, a Pinellas listener. Um, you're on the air, Rosa. Hi, thanks for taking my call. So sure. I have a comment and then just kind of want to see your thoughts. I have um, a second grader, but she, you know, based on the school system, 
you know, in order to get into like VPK, you have to be four by September 1st. So she kind of just went in right under there with a September uh, 28th birthday. Um, we did with COVID, we did virtual for kindergarten. And then last year it showed that she was behind a year. She had a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety from that. Um, I've also tried to hold her back. She's in second grade. I tried to hold her back last year just because I felt based on, you know, all the stuff. Well, what, what's your question for uh, Judge Figueroa? So my question would be with COVID and dealing with the younger generation who had, who needed that developmental and was, I would say, stunted by that. It seems like the schools are kind of just pushing kids through, especially that have a lot of anxiety and are falling behind because it seems to me it's like seems like they just kind of want to conveyor belt them through. Is there any studies or anything going on about what could be potentially be a ripple effect from COVID and the younger the younger students out there? Well, Rosa, I think that's, well, that's a great for your call, Rosa. That's let's, a great point, and and I, and I think uh, you know COVID's taking this toll on, on a lot of people, particularly the, the children, the innocent people uh, that that through no fault of their own have been. Uh, forced into this kind of Zoom virtual world and and these children aren't allowed to develop their social skills uh, in interacting with other children uh, and, and feel isolated and feel depressed. And, and, uh, and dependent on sure. uh, technology. I mean, not face-to-face interaction, but so dependent on technology. It causes, I think, a sense of isolation and that leads to depression mm-hmm. and the the numbers of uh, youth with severe major depressive disorders have increased enormously since covid yeah and 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 it sounds to me like your child's very lucky cuz you're very engaged and, and active and 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 caring and concerned about your child and and uh you know i think the school district can work with you on that you know so often <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would see in, in my juvenile mental health court where parents are just pushing their kids off on the school, uh, and it's the school's problem, not their problem at home. And it, it needs to be a team effort. There needs to be a solution at home and a solution in the schools as well. Yeah, now, um, one of the other um, issues, one of the other recommendations that um, came out of the interim report on the commission on mental health and substance abuse was to was a recommendation to study the impact of expanding Medicaid eligibility, especially for young adults. Um, about 14% of the individuals in Florida aged 19 to 26 are in the coverage gap. They're not covered by any kind of insurance and they can't get it uh, because their parents are uninsured and uh, they've aged out of being covered even if their parents were insured. So uh, approximately 390,000 adults with mental illness in Florida are also uninsured. And at least making more young adults uh, eligible for Medicaid would, according to the commission's report, improve access to care for behavioral health and even primary and preventative uh, medical care that could promote better long-term physical and mental health outcomes in, in those people. So as I understand it, 
most of the members of, of this Commission on Mental Health supported this idea. But last month, the secretary of Florida's Medicaid agency, a DeSantis appointee, uh, publicly opposed the idea of a study looking at expanding Medicaid. And, of course, Florida is one of only 11 states that has refused to expand Medicaid eligibility generally. Uh, our Republican-controlled state legislature has vehemently opposed the idea of expanding Medicaid, and they are the entity that would decide whether to even launch this type of a study that the commission has recommended. So I guess, you know, having participated in the commission research and, and I assume debate about this issue, I, I'm wondering if you could explain uh, to me what's the rationale for opposing that study or opposing Medicaid to all uninsured adults in Florida under the age of 65? What's what's the rationale for that? What did you hear among the members of the commission who did the few who did oppose that? What, what was the rationale for that? Well, I, you know, I can't speak for them. I can only speak for myself. And one of the things that, that I really am proud of about this commission on mental health and substance abuse that I was honored to be appointed to was the, the leadership of, of, of our chair, uh, Sheriff Pramel. <laughs> you know, this is not a political commission. I mean, there's appointees by the governor. There's other people on the, on the commission. This topic, it, it, this isn't a Republican-Democrat kind of thing. This is something that affects everybody. And one of the things I was really proud of was that our commission really kind of put our blinders on and, and, and didn't play politics with it. Now, all we can do is make recommendations. Uh, to the legislature and to the executive branch. What they do with it, that's going to be up to them, and, and that's, I guess, the political side of it. Uh, we recommended this, let's just study. Yeah, Medicaid uh, expansion. Medicaid expansion. And let's take a look at it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that was as, as far as we could go. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's going to be up to the legislature to decide how to act that again. But 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 these are all recommendations that, that, yeah, you that don't have the power to make it happen. Right. We, we, we don't have that authority. We make recommendations, and again, we pass it on to the, uh, you know, and I have a great deal of respect for our legislative branch and our executive branch. You know, I'm part of the judicial branch. We all have our roles to play, and, and I've got a great respect for my uh, fellow branches of the government. Uh, and And we can make these recommendations, but one of the things I was really proud of was our commission really put the blinders on and was not politically driven uh, by anyone's uh, agenda well, or base. Well, this, this particular recommendation is the proof in the pudding of what you're saying, because this is a commission that uh, was formed by the state legislature. You, for example, and a number of other members were appointed by the governor, who, of course, has a, the, both have opposed Medicaid expansion, and yet the commission came out with this recommendation to study it and see how it would affect the availability of of positive outcomes for people with mental health in Florida. So I think uh, clearly the proof is in the pudding. You're right that the commission was not politically uh, either constrained or motivated. Um, it seems to me anyway. Well, and, and I think of all of our recommendations, this is the one that's going to be an issue. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and again, and hopefully, uh, and, and I'm a positive thinker. Uh, uh, people will realize that these recommendations are not a Republican or a Democrat, a red, a blue, a liberal conservative type of thing. These are issues that, that affect all of us, and, and, and we're making some pretty solid recommendations, I think. 
Um, I'm going to take a call from Anne in St. Pete, who's been patient. Thanks for calling in, Anne. You're with me and Chief Judge Ron Figueroa of the Hillsborough County Court, who served on the Commission for uh, Mental Health and Substance Abuse. Hi, thank you. I think um, the criteria for Baker acting someone needs to be looked at because by the time you're a threat to yourself or others, it's really too late. For example, there was a father in, that threw his daughter over the Dick Meisner Bridge near the Skyway on the St. Pete side, and, you know, she died, and his lawyer had tried to get help for him and called law enforcement, but, you know, it, he didn't meet the criteria, even though they he was in a mental health crisis. So I feel like that needs to, to be re-looked at. And, and, and that's, a, that's a great point. And that's one of the recommendations uh, from this interim report is to look at modernizing uh, the Baker Act and the Marchman Act. You know, it's, this is a commission on mental health and substance abuse. And a lot of times those go hand in hand. Uh, people that are dealing with mental health issues also have substance abuse issues. Uh, so uh, you're right on point with that. And that's one of the recommendations of this commission is that the legislature look at modernizing and updating uh, the Baker Act and Marchman Act. Uh, to 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 give law enforcement more authority and to better define uh, the issues that they're dealing with. Great, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you for all your work. All right, thank you, Anne from St. Pete. You know, I just want to remind our listeners that back in May, May 25th uh, last year, uh, Midpoint uh, over here at WMNF did a show with. Um, some psychologists from the Emotional Wellness Program of the Hillsborough County Public School System. Um, we did a show um, talking about the crisis in teen mental health. Um, and so if you're interested in that topic in particular, you can go back to the Midpoint Archives by uh, streaming www.wmnf.org slash midpoint and scroll down uh, to select the date of May 25th, 2022, and uh, you can listen to our show um, that we did with the Hills, people from representative of the Hillsborough County School System on the crisis in teen mental health. Um, so I just wanted to make that available to everybody, too. Uh, you're listening to Midpoint on WMNF Radio 88.5, and we're discussing the report of the Florida Commission on Mental Health and Substance Abuse with Commission member the Honorable Ronald Figueroa, who's the Chief Judge of the 13th Judicial Circuit in Hillsborough County, and you can join our conversation uh, during our live show by calling 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can text us at 813-433-0885. Um, Judge, another recommendation from the commission was to track how people move through the system of care because people with serious mental illnesses like major depression or schizophrenia, they bounce among these treatment providers from community mental health centers to jail to private facilities to hospital emergency rooms and they get a diagnosis and treatment uh, at all of these places without any coordination or continuum of care. So there's a suggestion in the interim report that publicly funded programs at least would share information and patient data to a centralized database so that patients can be tracked 
through the system. So I'm wondering, do you see any like privacy concerns with a centralized patient mental health database like that? That it, there's be- always an issue when you're dealing with with HIPAA, and which I don't yeah. even understand HIPAA all the time. I, one, but that was one of our our, our big recommendations because there's been a lack of communication between the stakeholders, uh, and so to come kind of create a master client index. Um, and have communication between uh, the stakeholders uh, that that can track. And again, we don't want to do a, a big brother is watching you kind of thing. But to be able to make sure, you know, who is who's laid hands on these people, who's touched these people uh, uh, that that need help, and what has been done. So to have yeah, a coordination so there and there's a follow up. Right. So there isn't like even uh, you know contradictory medicines prescribed, for example. There's no way currently to track that from people in the public care system. And that's why data sharing is so important. Yeah. Uh, but again, you run up against the HIPAA issues, and that's something that's going to need to be resolved again by the legislature. Yeah, right. All right, I've got a call from uh, Chris in Clearwater. Chris, uh, you're on the air with Judge Ronald Figueroa on Midpoint. Thanks okay, for your patience. Thanks, Shelley. Um, hi, Judge. Uh, for the last caller, I'd recommend a, a show that was on uh, the Tantalk Network here locally on the, the Baker Act. Uh, if you want to go onto YouTube, the title is Florida Guardianship Law Reform, Don't Become a Ward of the Court. And uh, interviewed was uh, Clerk of the Circuit Court, Ken Burke, here in Pinellas County, uh, Susan Melendy, Justice for All Florida, and uh, Hillary Hogue. What, what, what was the name of that show on YouTube? Um, again, it's on the Baker Act uh, problems and uh, Florida guardianship law reform. Okay. Don't become a ward of the court. Don't become a ward of the court. Okay. Yeah, and and clerk, I'm very familiar with Clerk Burke over in Pinellas. Saying Clerk Burke, but but Clerk Ken Burke over in Pinellas County, and uh, he's really one of the leaders uh, in dealing with guardianship issues, uh, as well as, as as our clerk here in Hillsborough, Cindy Stewart. And uh, the clerk's office is so important uh, and an important stakeholder, an important partner uh, in all of this. And and I know uh, uh, Ken Burke is is really leading the effort with the county clerks statewide, and there's 67. County, 67 county clerks, um, and, and dealing with guardianship issues is one of the things that they're focusing on. Yeah, yeah, I was really, uh, really impressed to see that from him. Um, and what I was calling about is the, lock, the lockdown the pandemic uh, that caused so many problems that we now see. And I want to draw your attention to uh, the Atlantic Monthly magazine, which is a progressive publication. Let's declare a pandemic amnesty is the title of the article. From October 31st and, and October 31st last year, and they're saying that you know they didn't know that face masks didn't work and social distancing didn't work. Well, I, uh, there are many doctors in the Great Barrington Declaration uh, who, uh, if you check out the signatories, were calling for protecting the frail only because children are usually not vectors and uh, of the virus. And uh, you know, it has 16,000 over 16,000 signatures from medical public health scientists. 47,000 medical practitioners, so I wouldn't dismiss them um, being proven correct that uh, because the elderly are so much more vulnerable, we should have protected them and just allow society to continue. And my point is that in shutting down the business, the local businesses, while liquor stores and multinational corporations and strip clubs are allowed to stay open, multinational corporations are now taking record profits. If you look at Oxfam International from a couple days ago. Okay, we can't yeah. get into that now, Chris. So okay. stick to the topic. Um, did you have a point to make about uh, the mental health? 
Yeah, well, yes, I've known about these studies for quite a long, certain studies for quite a long time, the suicides, drug abuse, self-abuse, child abuse, people not seeking care, you've all covered. Um, you know, I could read off studies. All right, but I have to cut you off now because it's 10.55, 10.56, and the show's about to be over, so I want to thank well, you for your please, call. Please but regard the Seventh Amendment for jury trial. Okay, I'm going to have to cut you off now, Chris, but thank process. you for calling. Uh, uh, you know, didn't mean to be rude to Chris, but we sure. really had to stay on topic. Well, and, and, and just just touching briefly on what, on what he closed out with, you know, one of the things I'm really proud of is, is, is you know, our court systems never closed throughout the pandemic. You know, people would always ask me on the street, you know, when are you going to open back up? We never, ever closed. I'm we very proud Zoom. that we were able to provide access uh, to people in, in our courts and, and, and through the leadership of Chief Justice Kennedy and now Chief Justice Muniz, uh, keeping our courts open and accessible to the public. Yeah, I you went to a Zoom system, sure, but you and it know the, the criminal courts can't just shut down because we have speedy trial uh, requirements. Due process and issues, due absolutely. Due process issues, right? People are sitting in jail, um, so yeah, so they could never uh, just close down. Um, and the last thing I wanted to uh, just touch on very briefly, because we're about out of time, is that the commission recommends a pilot program to make all public behavioral health funding go to one single agency in a given geographic area to create more consistency in contracting for services uh, for patient care. Because often this kind of care is dependent on the funding that various different uh, organizations receive, and it's appropriated to several state agencies and who then disperse it to local providers. But again, the information is siloed and the right hand often doesn't know what the left hand is doing for the patient. So Exactly. And, and I think that was another big recommendation because we've got to get control of the funding, know where the dollars, know what dollars are there, know where the dollars are going. And so often, as, as you pointed out, the left hand, right hand, that whole scenario doesn't know. So let's make the best use of the limited dollars that we do have and be able to manage them better. So I think it's a great idea. I'm big on pilot projects. Yeah. Let's try and see if it works great. If it doesn't work, well, can we tweak it? Can we make it work? If it if it's not going to work, okay, let's move on to plan B. Yeah, it seems like it, it, it makes sense to try that out. Um, I want to thank uh, my guest today, the Honorable Ronald Figueroa, Chief Judge of the 13th Judicial Circuit. You Ronnie can still call Fig. me Ronnie Fig. Ronnie That's okay. Fig, uh, for for uh, being with us today. He's been serving on the Florida Commission on Mental Health and Substance Abuse, and I really so appreciate uh, that he came to join me to talk about this recent re interim report and the recommendations issued by the commission just last week. Uh, we've learned that our current mental health landscape is mostly a mess, and it is clear that Florida has a long way to go to provide the services so desperately needed by our community in need of mental health treatment, but I'm so happy to hear about all the advances that the Hillsborough County uh, Circuit Court system has made. We're doing good things here, Shelley, in yeah. Hillsborough County. We're doing, I'm very, very proud. As I said, it's the most rewarding work I've done uh, in my nearly 40 years on the bench, and we we're we're doing great things here in Hillsborough County. Well, I'm glad to hear that, and I appreciate you bringing that to the attention of our listeners on WMNF. Uh, if you joined us late in the show, you can feel free to go back and listen on demand to any of our shows from the Midpoint Archives at wmnf.org slash midpoint. Uh, 
or you can listen on the WMNF app, or you can find our podcast at WMNF Midpoint, wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen on demand. Uh, thanks also to our WMNF volunteers, Jessica Green, who is my soundboard op, and Barbara Fling, who answers the phone for us. And as always, thank you to the WMNF listeners for your interest and your support of Midpoint. If you enjoyed the show, please consider dropping us a tip in the tip jar and direct your attention to MPW Midpoint Wednesday so that the powers that be here know that you appreciate this type of production. Now, please stay tuned for Talking Animals with Duncan Strauss. We are WMNF Tampa. Tampa.